Before today's episode, I have a quick update. For the second time in Pay It Forward history, today's guest accepted a new position. So please join me in congratulating Alex Grant for his new role as Creative Director for Football at the University of Maryland. And now back to the show. Today on Pay It Forward, we have Alex Grant. Alex is a video producer and a content marketer. He's held a range of production positions at various organizations, along with his own freelance work. He's also volunteered for a handful of very amazing organizations. Um, if you have any interest in the uh, University of South Carolina sports, you've probably seen his work as he serves as producer of marketing, in-venue, social media, and feature video content for the University of South Carolina Department of Athletics. He's the primary content creator for South Carolina women's basketball and South Carolina softball. He also produces the Gamecock football with Will Muschamp and the Gamecock Insider TV shows. Along with his many duties in content creation, Alex also assists in the managing and training of student production assistants for new and creative media at USC. So Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It sounds so weird to hear somebody read like <laughs> <laughs> read what's in what's in my LinkedIn profile. I just... God, that's a hell of an intro. <laughs> I try, dude, I promise I try, like, I hope it's not as much fluff as, like, it, it, I feel like that is what I actually do, but hearing somebody read it just sounds so strange. Yeah, no, it's a lot, I, um, which is good. I, um, I went to, I Googled your name, I was just like, Alex Grant USC, and something from, I think it was Gamecock Online came up, and it was like, a page of stuff you've done. I'm like, oh, let's just take it from this, so, <laughs> you've done a lot. Yeah, it's it's crazy, dude. I feel like I haven't been in the industry that long. Um, but when I think about it, like my first season here was 2014-15. Like that's been six years almost yeah. now. Like that yeah. just sound that sounds so strange, man. Does it make you feel old? It makes me feel extremely old. Like the thing, the really the thing that really this last year made me feel super old was when my intern started talking about TikTok, and I was mm -hmm. like saying that like, no, TikTok's not never going to be anywhere as good as what Vine was. Like I'm not going to be invested in it, and like quarantine hit and I'm in bed at three o'clock in the morning just swiping through TikTok yep. for hours and hours at a time. Yep, you, you became an old man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but well, speaking of old men, uh, we go way back. Um, we both went to E.L. Wright Middle School. Uh, we both went to USC. Uh, but, you know, I was thinking and I don't think I remember uh, knowing, you know, back then how into media and into production you were. Um, I don't know if you were back then, but you know, when did you have, when did you first sort of had that idea that you wanted to do something in media production specifically? Um, I really don't think that became like a feasible um, career path for me until I got to high school. Mm -hmm. um, my high school, Richmond Northeast High School, um, had a really, really elaborate technology and media program. Um, and I just, my freshman year, just dove right into that head first and um, had a whole lot of fun with it and realized, you know, I'm actually kind of good at this. This is something that just kind of clicks and makes sense for me. Um, and just, you know, put a lot of energy into that and realized very quickly that this is something that I wanted to do and, you know, wanted to make a more of a career than a hobby. Um, and was really grateful and really grateful to have had those resources in high school and then um, got to college and knew that I wanted to be um, a broadcast journalism major, so studied that at the University of South Carolina. 
Um, my sophomore year, I started interning with our athletics department, um, doing a lot of what I do now, but kind of in the beginning stages of it as an intern. So just learning the ropes of things and um, shooting some of the smaller sports to make sure that, you know, I'm, we had a grasp of stuff before we moved on to some of the bigger platforms. Um, had an opportunity to go and intern with ESPN the summer before my senior year in Bristol, Connecticut. And that was an awesome experience just to kind of see the sports world um, and the media around the sports world from such um, a high vantage point um, and see all the different ways that um, ESPN has its hand and what sports was happening in sports and how we perceive sports and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it, it, I definitely don't think as early as middle school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but when I got to high school and realized, you know, this, this is actually pretty fun. I, I can, I can do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And, and I remember, um, I don't know how true this was, but I just remember, you know, I would hear conversations uh, back in middle and high school that, you know, Spring Valley was sort of the place where they had all the math science magnets and Northeast was where they had the art magnets. Were you in a magnet there? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, so I did, um, I did two of the magnets and I guess three of them by the time I graduated. Um, but I did um, Convergence Media, which was the kind of journalism media one. Um, iLink, which was just a technology and um, broad strokes, creative, almost media arts based um, program. I believe since that, since then, the two programs have kind of merged and become one. Um, and then PCA, Palmetto Center for the Arts, which was um, the different performing arts um, programs that they had at the school. Um, I did marching band and concert band for all four years. So um, definitely was kind of involved in a lot of things, spent a lot of hours at school after three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Uh, well, earlier you mentioned your internship at ESPN. Uh, we're probably going to end up coming back to that, but I wanted to ask, I think you said you went summer before your senior year. Was that senior year, um, a senior college, right? Yeah. Okay, just double checking. Um, so we'll come back to that in a second. But we both went to USC. Yep. And uh, it's funny, we both studied at some point at the J School. I didn't do undergrad at the J School, but when I went back to grad school, I did it in the J School. Um, I want to ask, so, you know, looking back, was there something specific that sort of drew you to, uh, you know, staying at USC, but specifically sort of going over to the athletics Um, So I knew that I wanted to be involved in sports as soon as I came to campus. Um, I transferred, so I started um, at the Upstate campus my freshman year and then transferred into the Columbia campus my sophomore year. And I knew when I came to Columbia that I wanted to be involved with the athletics department. And I'd seen a lot of the stuff that um, was being put out and the content that was being created and just wanted to you know, see if that was something I was interested in. I did a little bit of sports in high school and it was fun, um, but I just wanted to kind of get a little bit more hands-on experience. And so that's how I ended up with um, athletics. And then I was for a long time kind of bounced between doing that and news uh, while I was in school. Um, if, for people who don't know, our senior semester program at the journalism school um, is essentially your second to last semester, your last semester, you come in five days a week and 8 a.m. you have a um, content meeting with the entire staff and all of the seniors and you're on air on TV by four o'clock Monday through Friday. Um, and it's it's a bit of a gauntlet that um, yeah. makes, and, makes and breaks people. Um, I actually really enjoyed senior semester in Carolina News. Um, but after graduation, you know, I applied to a ton of news jobs all over the place and hadn't really heard anything back. Um, and my old boss, shout out Paul Dana, um, hit me up and was like, hey, um, if you haven't heard anything yet, we could use some extra hands going into football season. Um, so I came back just as like a part-time postgraduate intern 
in the athletic department um, and ended up being there for a full year. It was crazy because like it's, I had been applying to all these other places, almost not necessarily running away from sports, but just seeing what else was out there for me. And right. when sports kind of called me back to it, that just opened up so many doors. Like that was probably around August or September when I came back to the athletic department. And by March, I was with our women's basketball team on the way to our first national championship. Like that was just such a wild ride that I could have yeah. never predicted. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it sounds like things really move fast for you once you, once you got in there. Dude, sports happens so fast, man. Like, I can't think of any other industry where, you know, the pace of it is just so freaking quick. And that's from the games itself to the moves that happen from the people who work in the industry, from the things that happen with teams. Like, it, it just moves, man. Yeah, it's, it's nonstop. Yeah. Um, so looking back to when you started um, in the athletics department and on the production team, post-grad internship kind of deal, how would you say that the department has changed uh, since then? Um, so we've actually changed a lot. We've restructured um, about a year after I came back in my post-grad capacity, um, which you know, allowed a new associate athletics director to come in, um, who's my current boss, Justin King. Um, he's the associate athletics director for New and Created Media. Um, and Justin kind of revamped how we did a lot of things. and. Um, I like to tell people that before Justin came, um, our first screen that we would produce for would normally be TV, um, something for one of our coaches shows or something that was going on one of our video boards. And then after Justin, that shift kind of went directly towards social media and making sure that we were serving fans content that they were gonna watch on their phones or yeah. on their um, smart devices or something like that or on their laptops. Um, so that was kind of the biggest shift um, since then, just, some little things. I think our department is a lot more diverse now. Um, from when I was a student, I was the only person of color. Um, well, even post-grad, I'll say I was the only person of color um, in a staff capacity. When I was a student, there were a couple of interns who um, were people of color. And then now you look at it, we've got interns who come from all kind of diverse backgrounds. Um, we've got staff that come from diverse backgrounds. When I started as an intern, um, all four of my bosses were white, three of them were white men. Um, and now when you, I sit at a table, normally when we're sitting in the office, I sit at a table and I can look around and you know, you see people who look like me, people who don't look like me, interns who look like me, who don't look like me. Um, and so it's just really cool to see that diversity and kind of how we've grown over time. Um, because it really, I think, reflects our fan base and, you know, the people who watch our, watch our teams and who love coming to our games and love supporting our student athletes look like all kinds of different people. And so we have to reflect that in order to create content they're going to engage with. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. Um, so at USC right now, your title is New and Creative Media Producer. Yep. So um, you kind of mentioned, you know, a handful of other people in the organization, kind of how that, how that looks. So how is uh, your department structured? Like, you know, what are the different, I guess, levels um, of people in the department? Yeah, so for our department as a whole, um, there's roughly 40 to 50 people when you consider full-time staff and interns. Um, so our my boss, Justin King, who I said is our associate AD for New and Creative Media, oversees all of that. And our department encompasses social media, graphic design, um, video, and a little bit of photography. Um, and so there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, I believe six full-time video producers. 
Um, we've got two or three um, full-time graphic designers for the athletic department and then a couple um, team-specific graphic designers. Um, we've got a couple full-time social media positions and then just an army of intern workers across all of those different platforms. Um, that you know are spending their time most of them unpaid um just getting getting experience and um grinding it out so they can have a portfolio that when they're ready to graduate um they can go out and get the job they want yeah you gotta love uh, getting experience right <laughs> Dude, i it's it's it, i i it's one of the things i hate about the industry that you know because a lot of it just it's, it's expensive man like just doing what we do costs a lot of money and so naturally you know, paying interns is not something that we can do for everyone. We do for some of them, the ones who have been here a little bit longer, and you know, who we can trust to, you know, handle their own sport or handle some of their projects on their own. Um, but it also does incentivize them a little bit. I started out unpaid when I was an intern in 2014, and it's been my full-time job for a couple of years now, so it worked out for me. Yeah, if it works, it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, one thing I wanted to ask you was sort of what your day-to-day -day looks like. And we'll come back to that in a second. But I think I should kind of update it and ask you. So, you know, we're at home. Ain't no sports happening. No so sports. What, what, have been, what have you been, like, you know, up to, you know, since, since we were on this sort of hiatus, especially in sports? Yeah, so that that's kind of evolved over the last couple of months, um, just because of how things ended. So I'll take you back to March. Um, yes. We had just finished um, our women's basketball team had won the SEC tournament up in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and I believe the, the championship game was on a Sunday. Um, we came back to Columbia that night. And by Thursday, everything was canceled. Yeah. And so for anyone who knows the women's basketball landscape this year, um, we were the number one team in the country, had only lost one game all year. Um, we were a presumptive Final Four team. I mean, our players, our coaches, everybody was ready to run the table and, you know, get as far as we could and hopefully pick up another national championship this year. And in a matter of four or five days, that just came to a screeching halt. Yeah. Um, so we spent a lot of time um, kind of recapping the season and celebrating what was. Um, the tricky part of all of this is that we don't, a lot of us don't necessarily know what's next. Um, we still don't know whether we're going to play any sports in the fall or in the spring next year. Um, we've been told, and I think everybody's moving on the assumption that it's going to happen, but there hasn't been any kind of hard line confirmed, yes, it's safe, yes, we're going to do this. Um, and so everything that we've been doing for the last three months has been kind of reflecting on what we, what we did last year um, and looking ahead with the hopes that we're going to be able to play a season coming up um, and then just trying to create evergreen content. So like a normal day for me now, it's, it's just so different from when we were getting up every day and going to the office. Like yeah. I have, I have a couple meetings over the course of the week where we just, we talk about what projects we've got and what we, what we're looking forward to um, and what needs to be created. But I think I'm doing the actual work of it a lot more on my own time. So like, during the course of the day, I may not be necessarily sitting at my desk and editing videos or sitting at my desk um, working on things for the team, but I'm still doing the same amount of work. Um, so like it may be a, you know, like yesterday, I went up to Charlotte to visit my cousins, but when I came back, I sat at my desk and was editing videos for a couple hours that night. Um, so it's just, it's allowed a little bit more of a work-life balance, yeah. um, unexpectedly, but it's, I definitely think I miss being in the office and, you know, miss being around people and stuff like that. Yeah, well, as much work life as as much life as you can have right now, right? <laughs> uh, um, 
So I wanted to ask, just because I'm very, very ignorant about <laughs> what uh, working in production looks like. So uh, let's say, let's flash back to things are normal, right? And everybody's went to the office. So what does, you know, during the course of a week, do you guys have like, you know, editorial meetings to talk about um, who needs to do what so that Alex can produce this video? Like how does a, sort of your workflow happen with all the photographers and the social specialists and you know, some of the other um, departments that you mentioned? Yeah, that kind of evolves um, based on what season we're in, I guess. Um, so you take football season, for example, um, football is kind of an all hands on deck thing. So um, on Monday of a game week, we'll have our normal Monday staff meeting. We'll run through everything that's going to happen that week leading up to game day. Um, like I said, I'm one of six producers and all of us kind of, we all technically cover all 19 sports here, but everybody kind of has their own sports. Like I have women's basketball and softball. There's another producer who has men's basketball and baseball. Um, we got producers with track and women's soccer. And so we'll give an update on what's going on with our sports. And then we'll all kind of contribute to the content plan for football that weekend. Um, on a game day, um, we'll come in usually six to seven hours before the game um, just to get everything organized. Our new office is across the street from the football stadium. We used to be housed in the actual football stadium, but now we're across the street. Um, so we come in that early um, just to get organized and um, move all the gear across the street and make sure we're ready to go. I think a lot of people don't realize how much actually happens before the game. Like, that's you turn, awful. <laughs> I mean, for, for the noon games, it's rough. Like the noon games, the 6, 6 a.m. crew call, is, yeah. it takes some doing. But, I mean, also, I love it when we play a night game in Williams-Rice Stadium. There's nothing like playing Saturday night under the lights in South Carolina. And so, yes. you know, you kind of have your whole day to sleep in a little bit, you know, enjoy, get up and watch game day on ESPN like a normal fan. But around noon, 1 o'clock, like, put your polo on. It's time to go to work. Um, yeah. So, like a normal Saturday game day for me is usually like a 14 hour day. Um, Cause mm -hmm. I, because I do coach most champs television show, like we record that after the game um, that all has to be edited down editing, you know, 30 minutes of TV sometimes on a moving bus or a moving airplane um, when we're on the road, because it still has to get done despite where we play the game. Yeah. Somebody's um, got to do it, right? Yeah. So it, it takes a little bit of doing sometimes. Um, it's definitely an adrenaline rush, but it's, it's fun. It's so it's so cool to see it all come together and see all of us work as a team and, you know, be able to accomplish those goals every week. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm not saying that my experience is necessarily similar, but my freshman, our freshman year at USC, uh, so I was in the drum line, right? And I mean, we would have about the same, like our call times were so ridiculously early. Yeah. To go out to the band field and like warm up and stuff. and just. And wake I mean, up dates all morning. Yes, piss them off. <laughs> we would piss them off. It's just, I, I would I have hated living in dates because we would get there, you know, we would get there and have a six o'clock call time. And by 6.30, we're out there like playing, like warming up and like, like it's loud. I would have hated that. So, I mean, but, you know, once, once the game was over, pretty much we would kind of chill on the bus and, and get back to the, we weren't editing video on a, on a moving plane or anything like that. But I feel you on the early call times, man. I feel you. Yeah. I always tell people sports are nights, weekends, and holidays. And so <laughs> when you when you want to work in that field, you're going to have to sacrifice some early mornings and some late nights. Yeah, you can't have it all. Wow. Uh, so uh, you mentioned uh, your ESPN internship. And I imagine that that's a 
really prestigious internship, especially if you're trying to do sports, right? Yeah. And so you were, uh, it was summer before your senior year, and you got that. Um, how did that even come about? So how did you first find out about the internship? Like, what was the process like? And then um, kind of walk me through uh, what you remember of the experience once you, once you get there. Yeah, um, I remember, I guess it was that spring, I was sitting in an econ class, um, probably more bored and less engaged than yeah, I should have been. that sounds boring. <laughs> um, and I was just looking at internships online and I saw um, ESPN has interns. And so I just went through and looked at a couple of different positions that I thought um, fit skill sets that I had and applied. I believe I applied to like five or six different positions. And amazingly enough, they emailed me back and said, hey, we'd like to start a couple of rounds of phone interviews. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I did um, three or four different rounds of phone interviews for different positions. Um, and they were, I mean, pretty extensive interviews. I mean, these were people asking tough sports questions, making sure you knew what was happening in the sports landscape for different yeah. sports, um, different professional teams, college teams. Um, ESPN is really, really diligent about making sure that their interns are qualified. Um, and so even if that means like, I would sometimes, you know, tell my professor that I have an internship interview today and I would step out of class and be out in the hallway on the phone with my laptop in case they asked me a question that I needed to Google while yeah. we were on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it is several different rounds of phone interviews um, and ultimately got selected um, for a programming internship. So essentially what I did was I was the um, programming and acquisition intern for ESPN3 for that summer. Um, so at the time ESPN3 was kind of the precursor to what ESPN Plus is now, the streaming service. Okay. Um, so I did a lot of scheduling, um, live college events um, that were going to be streamed on ESPN3, so um, like ACC events. Um, this was right at the start of the SEC network, so the SEC kind of had their own their own team doing that. So a lot of the ACC stuff, um, Big Ten, Pac-12 games, stuff like that, um, things that were going to be scheduled on ESPN3, we did a lot of that work. But my boss was really, really great because he knew that I wanted to um, have a production or have a career in production. Um, and so he let me shadow pretty much anything I wanted. I shadowed first take sports center, a couple of nights, um, his and hers when that was still on the air with Michael Smith and Jamel Hill, um, got up and did Mike and Mike one morning. Like it's, it, it was, it was an awesome experience. Um, made some really, really good friends with the other interns. Um, all of us lived um, at this community college campus down the street. Um, and so we were all in dorms that summer. And so it was just a really kind of college experience while we're all interning at ESPN. Um, it was just a, a dope three months um, leading into my senior year. Yeah, no, that, that sounds awesome, man. I mean, I can only imagine for somebody who loves sports, wants to do production, I felt like that had to have been you felt like you're in a candy store every day, right? Dude, it, it was it was awesome, and it's like it's so weird because ESPN itself is kind of like a college campus. The way that the um, headquarters are structured, there's different buildings, there's courtyards all over the place. Everybody eats at the same cafeteria, and so it's kind of structured like a college campus. Like I literally one day went to lunch, it was on my phone, and looked up, and I was standing behind Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, like that, it is that's little weird stuff. Like like you're walking down the hallway, like oh my god, that that was Carrie Champion. Like you, they tell you um, when you're like are doing your orientation and all of that. Like you have to treat people like they're at work and be professional and don't fan out. And like all of us as interns can relate to having those moments like where you're walking through the newsroom, you're like, oh shit, like that's Michael Smith sitting at his desk right there. Like yeah. dude's just sitting there prepping for his show. Like it's a normal day at work for him. And like, you're trying not to be starstruck staring at him. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds amazing. And you yeah. mentioned um, Jamel Hill. So I went to like 
shout her out real quick. Not like anybody ever, not like she's about to listen to this and be like, oh, thanks, Jay, for the shout out. Hey, man, but, you never know. <laughs> well, I, I used to be a very avid listener of The Breakfast Club. And when, you know, all the George Floyd stuff went down, they like, I don't, and I, I don't understand why they did this, but the person that they had on the show was Rush Limbaugh. And I saw that. And I said, that's it, I'm done with the breakfast club. <laughs> and I was like, I need another uh, black podcast to fill my sort of like everyday listening need. I found Jamel Hills Unbothered. I listen to it every day. What she's a podcast. Amazing. She's brilliant. Um, and she's such a, like, not only is she a great writer, but the way that she sort of structures her arguments and can. Um, I don't want to say poke holes in other people's arguments, but sort of press on them to be like, all right, I understand that you think this, but X, Y, Z, now, why do you still think that? And it's just like, damn, she really constructed that really well. Dude, I feel like people sleep on Jamel Hill so much and like the narrative publicly against her got shifted so much when she tweeted the president, frankly spoke what a lot of us believe to be true. Um, but dude, she's not new to the podcast game either. Before, before Sports Center Six, before his and hers, the actual TV show, Jamel Hill and Michael Smith had a podcast on ESPN that was the His and Hers podcast. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it is the best podcast I have ever listened to. I wish I could find those old episodes in like the archives of ESPN's website somewhere. But like it was, it was just dope to see two people of color be on this major platform and like. Mm-hmm around the time when all that was happening, you think about like when Donald Serling made his comments and um, they were trying to remove him from being owner of the Clippers and stuff like that. Like that was all right when Jamel was in her prime, I guess, Mm -hmm. at ESPN. And dude, it's just, it's been awesome to see her kind of be able to find her voice outside of sports and legit just be able to speak her mind a little bit more. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, So she has a very loyal listener to me, I can tell you that much. Shout out Um, Jamel Hill. Yeah, (laughs) shout out Jamel (laughs) You're welcome for the shout out. <laughs> so, okay, you go to you go to Bristol. Uh, you're an ESPN intern, living the life, right? So, um, eventually, you come back to Columbia. So, what did um, you know? What was kind of your first move when you get back to Columbia? What was one of the first jobs that you landed when you got back here? Um, so, senior year um, was. It was, it was a lot of the same stuff from the athletic standpoint that I'd been doing. I just had a little bit more responsibility. So um, I was helping kind of manage some of the fellow students. We had a program for a few months where the senior student interns were helping manage the younger students and, you know, just kind of ease them along and keep them up to date on projects. If they had questions, they could come to us first rather than having to text the staff. Um, so it was a lot of that. And then the second semester of my senior year, um, looking back on it, man, that was one of the longest you know, three, four months of my life, just because I was doing, still working with athletics in the middle of basketball season. Um, I was doing our senior semester program for the journalism school, which I said was essentially a full-time job. Like, yeah, that, that, was when, say, that sounded terrible. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot. Like, it, it was so much so they tell you in the beginning, like, you're probably not going to be able to work a part-time job while you're doing this, because even when you're not in class, like, we have to go out and film packages and stuff like mm-hmm. we're normal reporters. Um, so I was doing that. And I had the great idea of pledging in my final semester of college, which yes. was like, you know, without being too specific, a lot of long nights and early mornings. Um, so, <laughs> uh, senior, my senior semester, my last semester was 
a lot, but it really, really taught me um, time management and, you know, how to be present in the moment and work on the things that I can work on and affect the things that I can affect um, and have peace about the things that I may not necessarily be able to do at that moment. Um, and then, yeah, I just kind of let that carry me all the way through um, graduation. And, you know, I think I hit that post-grad slump that everybody hits where it's like, all right, don't have a job yet, still sitting at home, mm-hmm. starting to get a little bit annoyed at my parents now. Um, and then, like I said, my old boss, Paul, called me back and asked if I wanted to come back for football season. Yeah. So I want to ask you sort of about your experience and, and how you think your experience has been affected um, by your sort of identity as a Black man. But I want to ask you before that, um, you just mentioned um, that you pledged, right? So um, tell me a little bit about how you think pledging and being a member of a, a Black fraternity has sort of you know, shaped you as a person. Because, caveat, uh, I wish I would have pledged, and I didn't. And I feel like the main reason I didn't is because I'm cheap as hell. And I knew if I asked my mom, she was going to be like, it's not like you need to go get a job. And <laughs> I just, I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that. So I, I'm, I'm really interested to see sort of what your experience has been um, you know, as a member of the journey. Yeah, it definitely, definitely cost a little bit of money. Um, <laughs> one thing about Alpha, Alpha will take um, every single one of your coins and be like, here's your membership. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, it is one of the best decisions I could have ever made. There's not been a single day where I have regretted it. Um, I am a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, Theta New Chapter from the University of South Carolina. Um, and I am just so incredibly grateful for the 17 guys that I crossed with. Um, we have been, they are, I say they have been such a family for me. And I think, you know, you hear people talk a lot about the Greek life cliches that like, oh, we're going to be brothers. And, you know, these are going to be the guys who are in our wedding. Um, but I, I think it's just so much more than that. These are the guys who I call like, when I'm frustrated at work and like I'm about to blow up and you know just walk out of the room, these are the guys that I text that are like, all right, chill out, you're gonna be fine. Or like um, when everybody's having, you know, naturally people have issues in their relationships or stuff like that. These are the guys who we text each other and we just kind of talk it out. Um, it's it's been amazing. We unfortunately in the last month, one of our LVs um, passed very suddenly, um, and it was really 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 difficult. Um, I would not wish that on anyone and you know and at 26 I don't think I've ever kind of been hurt in that kind of way um but the caveat to it and the plus side of it was it brought all of us together we're all I mean we all talk we're all still close but naturally just as people graduate we're moving away people have got different jobs people have kids now and so we just don't see each other as much and so it was cool to kind of be around everybody again for that weekend um during the funeral and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I would not trade that experience for anything in the world. Those those guys are great. And beyond just my line brothers, my pro fights, my neos, I mean, it's it's been a true, true blessing for me. Yeah, well, I mean, well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear that. And um, my condolences to, to you and everybody else. Appreciate it. But, um, you know, do you think that um, being a member of, you know, Alpha, um, has sort of helped you along in your career at all? Are there are there pieces of advice that you've gotten from your brothers? Um, you know, are there connections that you've been able to make 
um, at least professionally in that way that you think has sort of helped you along? For sure. Um, there's a, a poem that we learn in Alpha that says, in cities of population two, I even have a brother there. Mm -hmm. um, and I look at that from the creative standpoint. One of my biggest mentors in the industry right now um, is a guy named Darius, who is a video producer at the University of Texas. Um, just somebody who I met through social media and he's like, oh, you're alpha. I'm alpha. You produce videos at your school. I produce videos at my school. Um, Darius is a couple years older than me. And so he's just been, you know, kind of that level headed advice sometimes that I need. I wouldn't quite call him old head, but um, he, Darius sometimes has he has a sense of knowing when I've gone quiet on social media for a couple of days or like when I haven't said something in the group chat for a while. He'll just shoot me a text. Be like, hey, man, you good? What's up? Like, what's on your mind? Um, and like stuff like that is just invaluable. When I've been in the position where I'm considering, you know, career moves or maybe a new job, it's just cool to have somebody who I can hop on the phone with and just have, you know, a genuine conversation. Be like, look, this is where I'm at. This is where my head's at. What do you think? Um, and that's that's kind of the big picture of it. You know, looking at just me and my LBUs or me and my profiles, me and my neos. Um, we all kind of lean on each other in that way. One of my line brothers, Henry, um, is in a communications field as well. And so he and I text back and forth a lot, even when it's literally just bouncing ideas back and forth off of each other, just to see like, oh, this sounds good. Like if I were writing a release for this, this is what I would say. Um, or like, I, if I want him to eyeball a video and tell, tell me what he thinks. Like, I, because he's my LB, I don't have a problem sending him that text at three o'clock in the morning. You know, like, dude, I know you're up. Look at this video and tell me what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned just now uh, reaching out to your brothers and, and sort of picking their brains and seeing what they feel about when you're thinking of uh, maybe a career change or a career move. So how, you know, how do you go about uh, weighing you know, when it's time for a change? Like what has to happen for you to go, you know what, maybe I need to start looking? Um, let's see how I can answer this without getting in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think just naturally after you've been somewhere for a number of years um you get to a point where you say all right um am i at my ceiling here am i at that place where you know i'm not going to have any more or as many more opportunities to grow and develop here as i would somewhere else um and i think that's the point when you start looking and considering what your options are um i think part of that as well though is being if you have this relationship with your supervisor if you have this relationship with your boss being open and candid with them and saying hey um, I want to be able to do more and want to be able to have a little bit more influence over XYZ. Um, and so I'm going to consider, you know, some options to go elsewhere or some options to do other things. Um, and if you've got a good boss, they're usually cool with that. Um, yeah. I've got no, I've got no problem saying that when I had, um, an opportunity to go interview somewhere else last summer my boss and I had a really healthy conversation about it where I told him like these are some of the things that I want to be able to do that I don't see myself being able to do here in the next year this is somewhere else that's offering me that opportunity I'm going to go interview and just see what they say um, and he was actually great about it I mean I decided to stay after all of that um, and there's a little bit of negotiation and push and pull that comes mm -hmm. with that and you know making sure that the circumstances are right and you're not losing anything by staying and you're not losing anything by going somewhere else um, but I think ultimately the decision has to come down to do you see yourself being in a position where you can still grow and do more things um, or do you see yourself being stagnant I don't ever want to be in a position where I'm not growing or I'm not learning or I'm not taking steps. Um, I don't ever want to be able to be somewhere where I feel like I'm taking steps back rather than forward. Yeah. And I think uh, what you just said in there, you said you're not losing anything by staying and you're not losing anything by going somewhere else. I think that is a hundred percent on the money. 
I had a similar situation. Uh, let's see, it is now June. Uh, this would have been back in October, where you know I got an offer from somewhere else for you know a pretty healthy raise, and I went to my boss and I said, "Hey, look, this is what's going on, and this is what I think I could be there." And it's similar to the same situation you had, and I said, "Look, um, I want to give you a heads up, like you know that I'm not saying I want to leave, but I want to let you know where I'm at, what I'm thinking." And again, a lot of people in my organization, we, I had a healthy conversation with my boss, the boss's boss, like people I don't even work under, you know, they kind of reached out and said, hey, you know, this is what Jay's uh, sort of going through, thinking about right now, just talk to him, see, you know, if you can give some advice. And I think it was, I don't think they were pushing people to make me say or anything like that, but it was like, Jay values your opinion, like, you know, talk to him, give him some advice. And I ended up saying too, um, so I think that, I think how you phrased it was a very perfect way of saying it. You're not losing anything by saying um, If anything, you're probably gaining something by saying Yeah. Um, at that point, because you're negotiating, you're sticking up for yourself, you're being very clear about what it is you want and what you want to do. So I think that's a perfect way of saying it. Some um, of the best advice I've ever gotten in this industry is to know your worth. Um, oh, yeah. and, and know what you bring to the table, um, know what, how, in what ways you are an asset, um, and be comfortable standing up in that and having confidence standing up in that. Um, and you don't necessarily have to be argumentative or you don't have to be antagonistic when you talk about that, but be confident in knowing that, you know, this is, these are the skill sets you bring to the table. This is what you feel like you deserve and go and get that. And also know that the grass isn't necessarily always greener on the other side. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I respect, um, the other place where I had an opportunity, but I'm, I'm glad I stayed. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a really good segue. So knowing how everything has played out and I mean, from school to now um, are there any decisions you might have uh, changed looking back um i guess i would have knowing what i know now i would have been hungrier mm. when i was younger um and so what do you mean by that? i for a long time um just kind of coasted off of confidence and you know knowing that i could do xyz um and get from point a to point b without any issues um and didn't necessarily try too many new things um and so when i say i wanted to be hungrier um i would have pushed myself to step outside of the box a little bit more um, when we kind of made our big shift towards social media a couple years ago um, it was a really really big learning curve for me and it took about a year i feel like for me to kind of get up to speed. Not that I was that far behind. It was just such a shift. When you do things for TV, um, you have to be careful not to be overly visual um, or not to, you know, have too many effects or something like that. Because if people feel like, you know, the screen's twitching too much while they're watching, they're going to turn away from that. Yeah. But on social media, our biggest audience is normally some 18 to 24 year olds. Um, and it has to be twitching and the phone's got to be damn near falling out of their hand to hold their attention span over the course of the video. Um, and so that was a bit of a shift that took a little bit of time. So I wish I'd um, kind of been less comfortable and more hungry um, when I was younger. Okay, so do you think there are uh, specific obstacles that you've overcome? Um, and maybe what you just said is an obstacle, sort of um, pushing yourself a little bit more. Do you think there are you know, 
sort of tangible examples as you look back over now that you say, and, and you look back and you're like, oh shit, that was a lot harder than I thought it was, you know what I mean? Like, were there any instances where maybe you were like, oh, I don't know, man. And then now you're like, yeah, that was a challenge, but I, I made it. Um, I think even just in the last year, you know, after I made my decision that I was going to stay, um, I really wanted to push myself to kind of have more ownership over um, the sports that I was creating content for. When I say ownership, I mean just be more intentional and more diligent about the process of it. So, you know, having a content plan going into the game, but not being so tied down to that plan that I can't, you know, make adjustments over the course of the night or make adjustments according to what actually happens in the game. Um, I wanted to push myself more to, you know, have a complete presentation when someone watches a video. Um, so there's so many different elements to it. When you watch a video for sports, you're looking at the actual plays of a game usually. Um, there's usually some music behind it, um, maybe some visual effects or maybe some sound effects, but there's the right blend of all of that for it to feel like it's coming together nicely rather than it being a distraction. Um, and then I also wanted to kind of, you know, put a bit of a unique spin and touch on my stuff. So um, in the last year, I really made an effort to use some local Columbia artists, local South Carolina artists music um, in our videos. One, just, you know, you always have the opportunity to lift as we climb. Um, and so try to put some other people on, but also, you know, it's, it's the little things. If somebody watches a video and they say, hey, where's this song come from? And, you know, we I can go in the comments and say, well, this is Hot Girl Jade, who's rapping about being from Broad River in Columbia. Like, that's that's dope. That's as South Carolina as it gets. Yeah, good old Broad River. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a couple of terms. That is such, that's, that was such an inside joke that people who are not from Columbia will not get. I mean, you gotta you got love it, man. We'll let, them, we'll let them look it up and see what they can find. <laughs> so there have been a couple of terms, um, you know, ever since we've been talking so far. So, you know, like editorial meeting, content plan. And I'm curious to, to know sort of um, what's your process? So here's, here's how I imagine it works and then tell me how wrong I am. So you walk into your editorial meeting, it's probably Monday, maybe Tuesday. And you're like, all right, these are the things that I'm gonna you know, work on this week, things I'm gonna make this week. And out of that, probably, you know, have a list of uh, you know, assets that you need to make that happen. Um, that's where I that's where I get lost. So, are there sort of concrete steps that you take from editorial meeting to content plan, or is there something in between? Or you know, what are all the discrete steps that have to happen from editorial meeting to you turning in a very uh, sort of finished produced video? Um, so for games, it's kind of tricky because you can have all the plans in the world, but if the team doesn't perform the way you think they're going to perform or if they, God forbid, lose the game, I mean, that just, the whole thing goes out the window. So it all has to be kind of flexible. Um, when you look at the basketball schedule, you know, we play two and three times a week sometimes. Um, and so it has to be really, really fluid. Um, so I'll usually eyeball um, who the crew is for our game. We crew student interns um, to come and shoot and take photos for each game. Um, so I'll look at who's coming to work that game, reach out to them, let them know, hey, this is what time we're going to get there. Um, this is, these are the things that I think are going to happen. These are the things I think are going to be important um, during this game. Um, on a game day itself, we'll usually have a content meeting 
for basketball about two hours before the game. Um, we'll get together with our sport information director um, who, for people who don't know sports, that's kind of the communications person for the team. So they normally will run the team social media accounts that day. Um, they are sometimes the ones tweeting the live tweets over the course of the game. Um, but their, their job is kind of to be responsible for the message of the team. Um, pre-game day, during game day, and post-game day. Um, and then it's a, a year-round position. So we'll meet with our sport information directors. Sometimes our marketing people will come to that meeting. Um, and we'll just kind of discuss what the what we think is going to happen that night and then go over some alternatives in case things change. Um, mm. So like an example of that, we played Mississippi State, who's kind of been our in-conference rival for women's basketball for a number of years now. Um, we had a, We had a plan for – if we win that game by a lot, we had a plan for if we win that game and it's real close and we have a plan for if we lose the game. Um, and we ended up winning the game, but it was real close. And so it was kind of a dramatic fashion. We yeah. get a steal at the very last seconds of the game and dribble the ball out, South Carolina wins. Um, and it was cool. Like when I felt like the game was going to head in that direction, I started sending texts to our group chat that we had, like, hey, I think this is what's going to happen. If we win and it's a buzzer beater, I'm going to go and follow this player. You're going to go and follow this player. I need you to be standing over here so we can have photos. And then as soon as it's over, everybody's got to go copy their footage to my laptop so we can start editing. Um, we're real big on what we call content velocity here, which means we want fans to be able to see and engage with content as close to when it actually happens as possible. Um, yeah. So it's got to be good, but it's also got to be quick. And yeah, so having a plan just kind of helps with all of that. I mean, it doesn't necessarily always go the way we think it's going to go. Um, but I mean, that's the fun part of sports. It's unpredictable. That sounds almost like you're playing chess against uh, somebody else who's playing a completely different game. It's like you have no idea what's going to happen, but you're planning for you know, if this happens, then we'll do that. And if this happens, we'll do that. And it's just like there's so many branches that can happen there that you have yeah. to prepare for. That is mind blowing. And it's gotta, dude. It's gotta happen too within such a tight time window. Because, like I said, we sometimes play two or three times a week. So yeah. you don't want to be seeing content from one game the night before you're playing the next game. You want to mm -hmm. be seeing content that's leading into that game. And so, say we win a big game, and the game's over at eleven o'clock. We need to be able to post our recap video within the next twenty-four hours, or it's going to be irrelevant information. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, taking the steps to have that I have all the pieces in place so when you show up at the office the next day you can just start editing and go um, and make sure you've got something out within you know a couple hours it's 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 a lot of planning but it's also we have a lot of resources at our disposal and a lot of help frankly um, from a lot of people so it's not quite as dramatic as what it seems <laughs> I mean, it still sounds like a really compressed sort of time frame and um, I wanted to ask, because I feel like, you know, when you're dealing on that type of a deadline, um, a lot of decisions, I feel like maybe sort of intuitively made, just mm -hmm. because you don't have time to sit there and debate every little thing. But when you're under that pressure of a timeline, are there like, uh, you know, things that you think about or things that have worked in the past where you say, okay, I know I got to get this video out in the next hour. This is what's going to make this video um, good, or this is what's going to make this video great. Are there, you know, little decisions um, that are easier to make because of the condensed timeline? For sure. Um, I think it also allows us to have a little bit more of a structure. 
um, in the midst of kind of the chaos. So something I started doing this year that worked out really, really well for us. I'm, when our students come to shoot games, um, I always told them you need to pull what we call selects, which is essentially your best shots from the day um, and put them on a sequence and have it exported on my laptop before you leave. Um, and so the same way I'm sitting down working on stuff, they're sitting down working on stuff. And then when I go back to edit, I don't have to go through, you know, two and three hours of game footage of stuff they've shot. They've already pulled the best, you know, 10, 15 clips. Um, and so one, that helps me not have to go through all of their stuff. And then two, I know when I'm looking at their stuff, this is the best of the best. And so I've kind of got more of a general overview. As a producer, when you're shooting something, you know what you shot. Um, but when you sit down to edit something, you don't want to use just your footage. That defeats the purpose of having multiple camera angles and multiple people. Um, so when they can sit down and, you know, dwindle it down to what's the best of the best for their stuff, that's super helpful for me on the back end when I can just, you know, hey, I need a crowd shot. Let me see and look at what Sam shot tonight. Um, and I can just pull something right out of her selects rather than having to go clip by clip through her card. Yeah, yeah. So are there... Um, you know, specific pointers or advice that you've given to those student assistants when they sit down to sort of narrow down, you know, what's the best that they have? Because I imagine if I was walking into that, I'd be like, I mean, you know, I think this is good. I don't know. So are there, are there certain um, tips or, or, or advice that you've given them to be like, hey, when I ask for this, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah. And before you give me you know, this thing over here, ask yourself X, Y, Z. And then yeah. if, if you say yes to all that, then give it to me. Are there certain things like that? Yeah, I try to, I won't say I, we as a staff try to always be available to our students. Um, and they have office hours where they can come in, you know, over the course of the week and say, hey, can you sit down and go over my selects from this game with me? And we sh we're always um, trying to make ourselves available to do that. Um, when it comes to actual game day, um, if I can at halftime, I try to always eyeball everybody's footage just to kind of see where their exposure is at, make sure, you know, their colors are right. Um, nine times out of 10, if you're shooting something and it looks right and it sounds right, it's usable. Um, but making it look right and sound right in, in the camera sometimes takes a little bit more doing. You know, these are professional cameras that don't necessarily have an auto mode on them. Um, mm -hmm. So you've, you've got to know exposure, you've got to know frame rates and shutter speeds and stuff like that and the right combination of them to use for it to look, look good. Um, and so we have those conversations. They know they can text me uh, or come hit me up at a game if they have any questions or anything like that. Um, and it's, really a lot on them. Um, the pressure, I guess, is on them because um, they know that if something doesn't look right or something comes back and it's not what it's supposed to be, my first question to them is going to be, well, why didn't you ask? Um, if you weren't, if, if I get, the, if I get the, the sense that they weren't sure about it from the beginning and you had the chance to fix it before, you know, you shot a whole game and your footage was overexposed, why didn't you ask about that? And yeah. it's a little, it's a little bit of a pressure, and um, it kind of sounds like I'm being a hard ass or a smart ass. But sometimes, at least for me, the way I learned and the way that people taught me as an intern, sometimes people just have to be blunt and ask direct questions like that for you to realize, mm -hmm. like, damn, I really had like <laughs> three quarters worth of basketball where I could have gone during a timeout and been like, hey, you know, my footage looks really choppy. How do I fix that? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think one, it's being available for them um, in their free time. And even if that means you have to step away for something that you're doing at your desk to answer questions. Um, people did it for us when we were trying to learn. So it's our responsibility to do it for them. Um, but also, you know, keep that pressure on them so that if something comes back and it's not what it's supposed to be, you know, to be like, 
oh, well, that's okay. You know, try again next time. It's all right. Why didn't you try to fix it? Yeah. And I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, because at a certain point, just, you know, accepting it, it isn't going to fix anything. It's not going to make anything better. Um, so sometimes pressure is good. And I think the best kind of pressure is internal pressure because then next time they're thinking about it. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so on the flip side, are there common mistakes that you see, uh, you know, junior entry-level people making um, when you're pulling up their selects and sort of looking at what they shot so far, you know, aside from some of the um, technical aspects of cameras and that sort of thing? Um, sometimes it's just learning patience and learning where to be and when to be there. Um, so much of shooting sports is, you know, being in the right position so that when the action happens, you've got a good vantage point to capture a great image of it or capture a great video of it. Um, so a lot of it is just knowing where to be, when to be there, and what kind of settings you need to have right in your camera for you to get it right. Um, I try to tell people all the time, um, you have to have kind of the eye. I feel like that's something we talk about in the industry, but developing your eye is really, really critical too. So being someone who consumes a lot of content and knowing what you like and knowing what you want to be able to emulate helps you when you get into that situation to say, hey, I really liked when this one team had this side angle of the play so that after the ball went in the hoop, you can see the fans in the foreground and the background standing up and cheering. I want to try that in our venue. Mm -hmm. um, so just helping them develop that eye as well and, you know, communicating back and forth with them and sending them videos like, hey, maybe we should try this at this game. And then it becomes this cool thing where, like, they'll send me videos. You're like, hey, whenever season starts over again, can we try this or try that? Which pushes everybody forward, right? Yeah. So what has been, you know, in your time in the athletics department, your favorite thing to work on? Ooh. Um... I'm tempted to say it was 2017 um, when we won our national championship with the women's basketball team because that was just such a, a wild ride for me. Somebody fresh out of school, like I never would have thought I'm getting on a flight to go to Dallas for the Final Four with the number, like to, to win a national championship. I never would have thought that would happen. Um, so that was a really, really great experience. But honestly, I think um, my favorite experience was this year. Um, when our women's basketball team beat uh, Connecticut at home. That was just, it was a game that nationally across women's basketball had been built up for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, we played UConn eight times prior to that game and never won a game. Most times it had never even been close. Um, and we had a confidence and it was a little bit of a different team coming into our house and a little bit of a different team meeting them when they got here this year. Yeah. Um, and so just knowing for the weeks leading up to it, that that was kind of going to be the atmosphere around the game and getting to, you know, make, make moves and um, plan content around that and be able to execute it all on game day. And, you know, we didn't just win. We won big. I think uh, the final score, I think we won by like 18 or something like that. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it, it was, it was crazy. And then like the, the day after the game, just, just seeing all the people engage with the content, um, I know it's, it's never about us as content creators and very rarely is it about the content we create nine times out of 10. It's about the players and the coaches and the effort that they put forth. And that's what, that's what we're here to amplify. But it from selfishly from my vantage point, it's just really, really cool to see the content that we create um, enhance that and see fans, you know, 
reply back to videos and say, oh my God, this was so cool. Like, I felt like I was in there. I don't, when I make a video, I don't ever want people to feel like they're watching it. I want them to feel like they're in it. Yeah. Um, and so when I see people like commenting like that or retweeting or quote tweeting stuff like that, um, that's really, really cool for me. So the national championship was cool, but I think UConn this year in Columbia is yeah. that's probably, probably my favorite memory. Oh yeah, I mean, that sounds amazing. That sounds electric. Like just hearing you talk about it, I can sort of like transport myself there. You know? 18,000 fans in that building is unreal. It's the, um, the recap video that we did that night is the pinned tweet on my profile right now. Um, it's, it's some of the audio in there. You mean you hear Holly Rowe talking about how electric the atmosphere is. I mean, who, you, think, you think about it now, you're like, dang, like Holly Rowe that's on the sideline of the national championship for football is talking about how crazy South Carolina women's basketball was. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the kind of scale we were on um, that day. It was awesome. Yeah. So um, I know that you know we've been talking a little bit about uh, how you have sort of guided some of the production assistants and you know, uh, some of the advice that you've given them and that sort of thing. So what have you learned about yourself and your production style? as you've sort of guided and mentored some of these student assistants and seen them sort of come and go? Um, I've learned that I need to be better about saying what I'm doing instead of just doing it because people don't necessarily learn from you just doing something and saying, here, this is what I did. Um, sometimes it's more helpful for you to explain it as you go and explain the thought process behind it because then people can follow your train of thought and then it clicks a little bit easier for them. Um, and then just also learning that like, there's, everybody has different styles of producing. It's not one size fits all. Um, everybody doesn't think the way I think. Everybody's not gonna shoot the way that I shoot. Um, and that's a good thing. We need that kind of diversity amongst creative ideas um, in our department and in our content, but also finding, you know, how do you lead that diverse group of people who think differently and they move differently um, has been kind of challenging. But I, I love the fact that our students push us. Um, they want to know, they want to learn, they ask a million questions, which we love because when they ask questions, one, it makes us reinforce that we can give them an answer confidently that we know what we're talking about. But also, I mean, they get to see when, if they ask us a question we don't know, at least I'll speak for myself, I can say, hey, I don't know, but I'm gonna look it up and try to get some more information. Um, because that's the, that's the kind of example I want to set for them. I, I try not to ever give anyone just an, I don't know answer. I try to, if I don't know, I can find out. I didn't mean to laugh at your answer there. I laughed because on my monitor right now, I have this sticky note and it says, I don't know dot, 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 but I will try my best to find out. <laughs> Literally, that's been my mantra lately. So, uh, it's just funny that you almost said that verbatim. Um, so, okay, uh, let's imagine that USC Athletics calls you up as soon as you hang up today and they say, you know what, Alex, we're going to make you director. Go hire some people. <laughs> what are some of the skills you're looking for and where do you find them? Um, I think you have to, first and foremost, have a diverse group of people. And when I say diverse, I don't necessarily mean by nationality or skin color or anything like that. When I say diverse, I mean people who come from um, different teams, different regions, people who can 
um, articulate and create content for different age groups of fans, um, different demographics of fans, because we have to be able to appease um, a lot of different people. And then diverse from the actual diversity standpoint, people who look like our fan base and who can reflect the cultural um, differences between our fans. Um, I think that's really, really important. Um, and so finding those pieces um, could be a little bit tricky, but uh, there's the plus side of our industry right now is because of social media. I feel like everybody knows everybody or everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. So the network of it is just so, so vast that, you know, if you really want to find somebody who fits the bill of the type of person you're looking for, it might take some doing, but that person is probably out there. Yeah, probably. Somebody can find them for you, right? <laughs> So uh, before every episode of Pay It Forward, I ask uh, you know guests you know, what they're reading, what's the challenge they're facing, something they're proud of, and uh, a piece of advice that they would give for people who listen to their episode. So first up, uh, what's something that you are reading right now? Um, so right now I'm reading the um, autobiography of Gucci Mane. I know that. <laughs> I like it. That, that's that's a little cliche, um, but it was it was the next thing on my book list. Uh, a few weeks ago, I finished Shook One um, by Charlemagne the God, which I really really enjoyed. He um, talks a lot about you know the long term lasting effects of um, not treating your mental health and you know not being conscious of your mental health, as well as the effects that you know systemic racism has on your mental health as a black man. So I really really enjoyed that. And one of my best friend uh, just picked up. I think his, I don't know if that was his first or second book, but he just yep. picked up whichever one he didn't have and he's raving about it. Um, and I know I kind of like shit it on the breakfast club earlier, so <laughs> I, I apologize, Charlamagne. Um, but uh, what is, what is uh, something that's sort of challenging right now? Um, we, I alluded to this earlier, but it's creating content right now for a sports team is just, it's kind of hard. Like I'm not even, I'm not even gonna lie. It's, it's a difficult thing to do when there are no sports happening. Um, we don't know when sports are coming back and the way that a lot of seasons ended was just really, really abrupt. Mm -hmm. um, and so creating content for sports teams um, has pushed all of us as creatives to be um, more fluid, um, branch out a little bit away from the court or away from the field to see you know, what our athletes are doing and create content that the fans are still gonna wanna engage with. Um, but it is you know, a weekly, kind of battle, I guess, because um, we don't know when we're coming back. And so every time we think we have a date of when we think things are going to resume, you know, a couple days later that gets pushed back and it's like, yep. well, damn, now we got to stretch content out across another <laughs> month. And like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much more I got. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, what is um, something that you're really proud of right now? Um, I am really proud of one, where we are as a country right now, where people are becoming more and more conscious of the history of social injustice and how active it still is right now. Um, but beyond that, the steps that people are taking um, to kind of amend that history. Um, and from a creative standpoint, I'm proud of the fact that a lot of people are becoming more aware of how content outside of sports um, can influence culture. Um, we obviously know that sports has always been a microcosm of society. And so whatever is happening in sports, you'll see happening in society and vice versa. Um, so it's just really cool to see like, the situation with Bubba Wallace, as unfortunate as it was, um, to see NASCAR kind of rally around him. Um, you know, unfortunately, it looks like 
the NASCAR, the organization is trying to push itself in a direction that some of its fans don't want to go. But it's also been really cool to see the actual drivers and the crews and the racers come together and say, you know, this is not what we're going to tolerate. Um, this is what we stand for now. This is the direction that we want to go. Um, so I've been really, really proud of that. Um, and one other thing, I, I, I feel like I'm rambling, but I'm, I'm trying not to. Oh, you're um, good. You're good. Um, I've been really proud of the network of Black creatives um, that's kind of been developed mm -hmm. um, in recent years. Um, shout out to uh, Kelsey Miller and Jazz Austin, um, two really, really talented um, creatives in their own right who, with a group of other people, have created this awesome new network called the Black Originals, um, mm -hmm. where essentially it's a network where you can go to their website and come across a list of Black creatives across sports, across lifestyle, um, videographers, producers, photographers, um, even some athletes, um, social media managers, on-air talent, all Black, all yeah. people who look like us. Um, and that is just such a cool and valuable resource. Um, you know, I think back to when I started out, I would have loved to be able to go somewhere and look at, you know, 40, 50, which last I heard is about 200 pictures um, and contact information for people who look like me who yes. are doing a lot of the same things that I'm doing in the industry and people who some of them I know personally I know are willing to people are open to people reaching out to them um, and asking questions like that's such a huge invaluable resource and I'm proud to be a part of the Black Originals I'm proud of the progress that it's making um, I'm proud to hear that you know there are teams who are saying we're about to hire we need to go to the Black Originals and see who's available um, so I've been proud to be part of that process since it started and um, really excited to see where it goes forward. Yeah, and I think that um, similarly for for the advertising sort of side of things, we I, I saw a similar um, sort of coming together of, of black advertising professionals and it's called 600 and Rising, right? And so there's there's two guys who kind of lead it. Uh, one's name is Nathan and one's Bennett. And they sort of penned this open letter and send it out and, you know, they had at one point 600 black advertising professionals who had signed it. I was one of them. And for me to be like, whoa, what the, like, and it was, I love the name 600 and Rising because I was actually on like a Zoom call uh, Wednesday and Nathan was sort of talking to a group of strategists and, you know, he said, I think now they're at like 1300 and they've got a few hundred allies who are also part, you know, have stick in the fight and it's just, amazing to have an organization where um, it's all black people who do things that I want to do. Yeah. Um, and there's also another organization called the Creative Collective. I think they're in New York. They're a, a predominantly black agency. I don't know if they're 100%, but a lot of the stuff that they've put out is also like for, for people um, like me on the, on the sort of advertising side of communications that you know, we also have a handful of organizations we can look at the same way that you have yours, um, which is honestly fucking amazing. Dude, it's so, it's so dope. <laughs> and I, th I think people who don't sit in our shoes as Black communicators or Black creatives or Black advertising people, they don't necessarily realize the value in it. But like so often we walk into rooms and we don't even have to count the number of Black people because we're the only Black person in the room. Oh my God. And like the tangible the tangible things behind that is you feel like when you speak up you're one speaking for an entire race of people and then two when someone shoots you down they've shot down an entire race of people um 
And so just being able to connect with other people who have had that experience, but also can give you advice on how to handle situations or things that's worked for them. It's, it's so, 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 so invaluable and so critical to where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Either you feel like you're speaking for the race or people come at you and ask you to speak for the race. And you're like, dude, I can't win in this situation. So uh, what is one piece of advice you would give to Black students who listen to your episode? You know, maybe they're looking to start work. Maybe they graduated right you know, in the middle of COVID. Like, you know, what's one piece of advice you would give to them as they look forward? Um, I would say shoot your shot. You never lose anything by shooting your shot. Um, whether that's just you DM somebody and say, hey, I respect your work. I'd love for you to take a look at some of my stuff and, you know, see what you think or, you know, just DM somebody, hey, I just graduated. I'm looking for a job. I heard you guys have this opening. I'd love to be considered. Like, you never know what can happen. The worst thing somebody's going to tell you is no, or the worst thing somebody's going to do is not open your message. But the flip side of it, of you shooting your shot and you reaching out to people and you trying to do new things or you trying to, you know, expand your horizons has all upsides. So if the worst thing that can happen is somebody can tell you no, well, you at least shot your shot. You know, you know, haven't you have an answer? Um, but the best thing that can happen is I mean, that can be a job for you, or that can be a new mentor for you, or that could be you know having somebody look at your work and saying these are the areas you need to improve on to move up to the next level. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this earlier, but it could be you know everybody knows somebody, yeah. so it could be hey look I'm not hiring now, but I know somebody else who is. I'll pass them on some stuff. Yeah. So now you've already got a reference. Yeah. So shoot your shot. I think that I'm gonna write that down. That might be your episode title. <laughs> shoot your shot. Um, so where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, so my uh, social media presence is at underscore Alex M. Grant on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so you can find all of my social accounts there. Um, on my Instagram, there's a link to a YouTube playlist that's got kind of my visual, visual portfolio of some of my favorite pieces that I've worked on um, in a YouTube playlist. Um, so yeah, hit me up. Yes. Uh, so that is the wrap for this episode of Pay It Forward. So Alex, thank you again for so much for joining me. Um, anybody who listens to this, please, you know, rate, review, like, subscribe, all that bullshit people say after the end of their <laughs> podcast. Um, you know, whatever, you know, wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, you can find more about uh, podcasts in general at Pay It Forward Podcast um, on all social channels. And that forward is FWD. So, Thank you all for listening, Alex. Again, thank you so much for for joining me. Dude, before I let you go, I just I want to make sure that the people know that what you're trying to do here and what you're starting here is a huge, huge, invaluable resource. Uh, we need way more conversations like this, and way more people in the industry willing to step up and say, "Hey, I'm going to create a resource where we can bring together people from all different parts of the industry who look like us and say, you know, these are the questions that I have." Or the- these are the questions that young people might have. Um, what are your, what's your response? What, what's your answer? And so um, I definitely want to commend you for doing this and, you know, encourage you keep going, man. Like as many episodes as you can crank out, as many people, many people as you can get in touch with, man, like this, this is awesome. And we need so much more of this in the industry right now. So I appreciate you having me. And I really appreciate you saying that. It has been uh, one of the most hectic work weeks I've had. And I've recorded three episodes this week. Dang. Monday, Tuesday, and today, uh, and so um, I really appreciate you saying that, man. That, that lifted my spirits. Be encouraged, brother. Absolutely. I, awesome. I need to need to start playing "Lift Every Voice" and sing. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs>